Hello guys and welcome to Reshape Radio. This is Angus from AngusPT.com. So we're going to get into today's episode, which is episode 8, and it's on metabolism because this is one of the subjects I find loads of people get really, really confused with. Um, I'm going to tell you what metabolism is, how to break it down, how to think about it, what it is and what it isn't. So first of all, what it isn't or what it is, is if you think of a inside your body, imagine you have a hamster wheel with a hamster. The faster the hamster runs, the more energy you use. That's kind of your metabolism. But what we hear is, oh, I've got a slow metabolism. So we've got a lazy hamster going at two miles an hour where someone else has a fast metabolism and they have a fast hamster. That's not strictly true. What a metabolism is, is the amount of energy you're using because of the amount of work your body is doing. If you are a bigger person or a taller person, that hamster inside you, that metabolism has to go faster. So if you're bigger or taller, you have a faster metabolism than someone who is smaller than you. But if that person is smaller than you, is doing a lot more work, they're doing more fidgeting or they're doing 100 million exercise classes, their metabolism speeds up because they require more energy. Now, the metabolism isn't affected by products. There is, oh, green tea speeds up your metabolism or caffeine speeds up your metabolism. The reason these things speed up your metabolism is because they make your heart beat a little bit faster. So they really speed up your metabolism by 0.1% or 0.2%. It's not enough to create a big change. So when people have a fast metabolism, what it really means is they have more of an output. It's not because that, it is because the hamster is running faster, but it's not because that hamster runs faster all the time. It's because they're doing something or they're doing something differently. They either have a big body or they're doing a lot of work or both. So metabolism can be broken down into a few parts. So you have your resting metabolic rate. You have your exercise activity thermogenesis. You have your thermal effect of food and you have your NEAT, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So let's break those down one by one. So your resting metabolic rate, this is the calories you would use if you were in a coma. You still use calories just to run your body, to run your organs, pump blood around your body. This actually accounts for more than 50% of your of your uh, calories that you need. So this is 50% of your metabolism. What metabolism is, is your metabolic rate. That's how many calories you need per day to survive. If you're running a marathon or if you're in a coma, you need vastly different amounts of calories. Obviously, the person that's running the marathon is doing more work. Therefore, they need more calories. So resting metabolic rate is the amount of energy you're using at rest. And they can calculate this, or we can calculate this quite accurately. And we can calculate it even more accurately if we know our body fat level. So fat uses less calories to be in your body. Think of it as a teenage squatter that doesn't work compared to muscle, which would be really beneficial for burning calories. It requires more energy to be there. So if we have two patients, a male and a female, they're both in a coma, they're in the bed right next to each other, and they both weigh 200 pounds, and they both have exactly the same amount of muscle, they both then, therefore, will burn pretty much within 3 to 4% 
the same calories as each other, exactly the same calories as each other. Now, let's say person A has more muscle than person B. Let's say person B is 30% body fat and person A is 10% body fat, but they both weigh 200 pounds. Then the person with less body fat but more muscle, they will burn more energy. It is a good bit more, but again, it's not unbelievably more, but that compounds over years will really add up. So your next thing to look at is your exercise activity thermogenesis. This is just anything that we consider kind of formal exercise. And this kind of blurs the line with the other one, which is non-exercise, which is just normal kind of movement. So with exercise, it's anytime you're really kind of raising your heart rate. Again, we can measure some of those things quite accurately with an activity tracker, heart rate monitor and things. But when you do more exercise, it will add on to the total amount of calories you need for the day. But our body is really good at compensating by maybe increasing hunger. So you might burn 500 calories in the spin class, but your hunger now feels like you need to replace that 500 calories and you can overshoot that 500 calories, therefore completely canceling out the exercise class you did. So exercise is great. You need to be on top of the calories that are coming in. So the next thing is your thermal effect of food. Thermal effect of food is again, you don't really have much control over. The more you eat, the more energy your body needs to expel or expend to burn that food. Vegetables or high fiber food require quite a lot of energy to break down. The more processed something is, like say white flour or sugar, it's very easily digested by the body. It's very easily absorbed by the body. So say you eat 50 calories of, of sugar, your body will get that entire 50 calories, which would be really beneficial if you're underweight. If you're overweight, that's not so great. Maybe if you've got 50 calories of broccoli, you would only get 40 of those calories. So already you've saved yourself 10 calories. Protein has the highest level thermal effect of food. There is four calories per gram. So let's say you eat 100 calories of protein. 25% of that, so it's 25 calories, will go towards its own digestion. So, so protein is really three calories uh, per gram because a good quarter of it is gone for breaking it down. And it also helps slow digestion. So that's the thermal effect of food. But anytime you're on a diet and you reduce food, the thermal effect of food comes down. Unless you're going from a really high processed diet, which doesn't require that much digestion, to a kind of high protein, high vegetable diet as the bulk of your food, say 50% of your food is that, then that has a higher thermal effect of food. And that will be really beneficial when you are trying to lose weight. Now, the last one is by far the most important one. It's called NEAT for short, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Sounds super complicated. All it is, is everything that's not formal exercise and everything that's not sitting on your arse, pretending to be in a coma watching Game of Thrones. So from in between that range, what we would talk about, so going for a walk, fidgeting, waving your arms, talking, walking, even when you're sleeping, your movement in your sleep, when you're tapping your feet, fidgeting, walking, as I've said 10 times now, um, those things are all uh, neat. And neat 
is the biggest player in the game because we're not really consciously controlled of it. Someone who has a fast metabolism, who has trouble gaining weight, will normally have a high NEAT output. There will be fidgeting, walking, can't sit still, OCD cleaner, that sort of thing. They're constantly moving. So every hour they're producing, burning more calories because they're producing more work, whether that work's beneficial for the environment or bad for the environment or good for the world or good for their life or not. They will just be doing more work. Therefore, they have a higher metabolism. So your metabolism is really caused by your work output. And that's kind of predetermined by the way your hormones make you do. So anytime you go on a diet, your body will subconsciously in the background, lower neat. So let's say you create a 500 calorie a day deficit because you're wanting to lose that one pound a week and you're really determined and you've worked out all the calculations and you're like, in 12 weeks, I'll lose 12 pounds and it will be amazing. Your body can start slowing down neat. So when you're sleeping, it's similar to being in a coma. So you're using your resting metabolic rate, which doesn't change at all when you're in a diet, other than the fact that you're losing fat. So now you're lighter. So then your resting metabolic rate will come down, but it's not life-changing amounts unless it's life-changing amounts of fat you're losing. But you fidget when you're in bed or you roll about or you move. Neat can actually lower that. So instead of burning 500 calories in an eight-hour night sleep, you're now burning 300 calories. So you've woken up and you're already 200 calories short and you're trying to save from your food. So your entire metabolic rate, this number, which is your maintenance calories, is the calories you break. This will start to lower as you become slimmer, as you start eating less food, as you become lighter, and as you become fidgeting less. So the thing you can do is increase your exercise, but increasing your exercise can increase your hunger, and it can also have an effect on meat where you become more tired or more lazy. And I call that conscious and unconscious laziness. So unconscious Conscious laziness is where you're kind of making a conscious decision to, I'll take the car to take the kids to school today, or I'll uh, I'll park as close as I can to Tesco. You make a kind of conscious decision that's partly caused by your subconscious because you're feeling a little bit lethargic and you're feeling a little bit tired. Where unconscious laziness is these, you start leaning on objects to conserve energy. Your body's always looking to conserve energy. And if you think of this as, if your body, your body is playing the long game and it's looking for grams at a time to accumulate, so you're looking to lose a pound a week, your body's looking to conserve one more gram, two more grams, three more grams, and it's playing a long game over a year. This is why it's such a hard opponent to fight against your body when making these changes because your body will slowly, slowly go over. So your body thinks, right, they're trying to lose 500 calories a day and what we're going to try and do is conserve nine calories per hour. And then that nine calories per hour start adding up and compounding, and it does it religiously. So when you break and you're like, I can't do this calorie deficit anymore, I must have cake. The body's still working to reclaim this nine calories per hour. It just needs you to lean on an object, to walk a little bit less, to not take the kids to school, to park closer to the shopping when you go to Tesco. It just needs this little slow. It's already saving calories in your sleeping. It's saving calories by making you tired and it's making you calories more lazy. So the longer you diet, the more this unconscious laziness becomes this habit. So you need to find out when you're being unconsciously lazy, when you're lowering this down. This is one of the reasons that 
losing weight is so difficult because meat will start to lower. So it makes up a good 25, 30% of your calories that you're burning, but then it starts lowering itself down to maybe just 20% of your overall metabolic rate. And that brings your entire metabolic rate down. So let's say you break even at 2000 calories, you go on a diet at 1500 calories. As you, as these numbers start coming down, you're now breaking even at say 1700 calories. So you're now only in a 200 calorie deficit. So you're not losing weight quite as quickly and that becomes demotivating. And before you know it, you're having chocolate cake. Then you break your diet. Then you go back to your regular old lifestyle of 2000 calories, but your body now has become quite efficient and it only needs 1700 calories. Then you start putting on weight and these things increase your metabolic rate. So there is a way of salvaging this. So you go on a controlled diet and you take a diet break where you purposely up the calories, which will up your energy. Creating big calorie deficits will hamper your need faster, taking short calorie deficit, maybe one to two weeks of a calorie deficit, and then one to two weeks of a diet break will really be beneficial. If you're really dedicated to your diet, like say you have a wedding in six weeks time and you diet for that six weeks, for six weeks afterwards, you want to do what's called a reverse diet, which is slowly increasing your calories until your energy levels start coming up. And we're not really super aware of these energy levels in the background. This is why activity trackers are quite good to keep an eye on. Are you getting 10,000 steps every day? And then suddenly you notice you're only getting 8,000 steps. Then you notice you're getting 7,000 steps. And then and you keep that going for a few months. It's a vastly different number to 10,000 steps. You're losing out on loads and loads of steps. So walking is a fantastic exercise to include to just build up this energy you're losing that your body is salvaging to fight against that. So that is metabolism. A little bit of overview on it. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will catch you in the next one.